We are in the second week of a sermon series on the miracles of Jesus. Last week we looked at a really fascinating passage that was two healing stories sandwiched into one. And as we discussed last week, anytime Jesus performs a miracle, there's a lot going on. It's not just one thing that he's doing. On the surface, there's always, of course, an amazing physical thing that happens. Jesus is demonstrating his power over nature, but that's really only one level of the miracle. On a deeper level, what his miracles do is that they reveal the kingdom of God. What would life look like if God were in charge of our lives? And so in last week's story, it wasn't just that a woman was miraculously healed. It was also that she was restored to community. She was welcomed back into the fold as she already is in God's kingdom. Now this is something that we're going to see each week that these miracles are not accidents. They're not parlor tricks. They're intentional ways that God brings his life into this world. Now the same theme is going to be present in the story we look at at today, although this is a much different story. It is not a healing story. We're going to look today at the famous story of Jesus feeding thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish, the loaves and the fishes. This miracle has the rare distinction of being one of the only stories that appears in all four Gospels. And what that implies is that this particular story had major significance across the early Christian world. Let's turn now to that story. Uh, We're in the sixth chapter of Mark, verses 30 to 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is very late. Send the people away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. He ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish Those who had eaten the loaves uh, outnumbered 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Prepare our hearts, O God, to hear your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that your wisdom penetrates our defenses and takes root deep within us. Through Christ our Lord. 
Amen. I want to start with a question that I suspect many of you will respond to. Have you ever felt burned out? Have you ever worked so hard and gotten so little rest that you felt like you just couldn't go on? Maybe you're in a caring profession. Maybe the work that you do requires you to care for others, but that means you spend all the kindness you have on other people and you have very little left for yourself. There have been some alarming statistics released in the last year about stress in the workplace. Apparently, Americans across all job sectors are reporting more stress than has ever been recorded. I'm going to quote from a recent article that says, nearly three in five employees report negative impacts of work-related stress, including lack of interest, lack of motivation, lack of energy. Meanwhile, 36% report cognitive weariness, 32% report emotional exhaustion, and an astounding 44% report physical fatigue, which is a 38% increase since 2019. Now, I will just add that ministers are not immune to this problem. In fact, what research shows right now is that 80% of seminary graduates who enter the ministry quit within the first five years. So be nice to your ministers because we're under stress too. Now, if you relate to this problem, I think the story we're looking at today is going to interest you because what we see in this story is that the disciples are completely burned out. They have what I think now would probably be termed compassion fatigue. That's a term that is specifically applied to people in the helping professions. When you are expending so much compassion on other people all day long, it creates a particular kind of stress. And we know that this is what the disciples have because as the story opens, they are complaining to Jesus about the heaviness of the ministry that they've been doing, all the sermons they've given, all the people they've healed, all the demons they've exercised. Jesus immediately realizes that they really need some rest and recuperation. So he says to them, come away with me to a quiet and deserted place so that you can rest a while. Now, a side note, I think it's wonderful that Jesus understands the need for sabbatical. And I also think it makes sense considering the fact that God created a day of the week that from its inception was meant to give people time to rest. As a society, we used to take the Sabbath pretty seriously. It's, it's been suggested that our culture's moving away from that weekly practice of taking rest might be part of the reason why we're so stressed out right now. But I digress. Jesus invites the disciples to get into the boat and to cross the Sea of Galilee to this quiet place where they can get some rest. It sounds lovely. It sounds like just what the doctor ordered. But there's a problem. All of these people they've been helping see them get into the boat, and they follow them. And the disciples must have been pretty effective in their ministry with people because crowds just follow them wherever they go. And in this case, the people see the direction that the boat is traveling. They then run around the banks of the sea so that they actually arrive at their destination before the disciples do. Now, if you're wondering how this is possible, you should know that the Sea of Galilee is basically a lake. Uh, really, the term sea is a misnomer. It's a freshwater lake, and it's not very big. The point is that when the disciples arrive at their destination, it is no longer a quiet place of respite. 
Now there are literally thousands of people waiting for them, and all these people have needs. They're physically sick. They're spiritually sick. I mean, they're so needy that Mark says that when Jesus looks out at this crowd of thousands of people, he thinks in his mind, they look like sheep without a shepherd. That's what they look like, sheep without a shepherd. That's an important sentence. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. Hopefully you already see the problem because now we have competing needs. We have these people who need help and then we have the disciples who need rest because they're burned out and they don't have anything left to give. It is at this point that Jesus steps in. He decides that he'll begin teaching all of this, you know, all of these people in this large crowd and that way the focus will be on him and maybe the disciples can get a little bit of rest. So he begins to teach and the hours go by. I mean, that's just... I think proof of his captivating teaching ability that people will sit there and listen to him for hour upon hour. Thankfully, I do not subject you to that each Sunday. Eventually, the day draws to a close, and now it's dinner time. The disciples go to Jesus, and they say, "Uh, it's time to wrap this thing up. Everybody around here is hungry. They need to eat. Let's let them go home so they can go and buy some food for themselves. Makes sense. But Jesus says, no, I don't think so. I think that you should give them something to eat. (laughs) They're kind of touching their ears. I'm sorry, did we hear you correctly? I mean, first of all, we're burned out, remember? Second of all, we don't have anything. I mean, are you saying that we should go buy them food? There are probably 15,000 people there. Mark said there were 5,000 men, but that didn't include the women and the children. So the disciples say to Jesus, it would take more than half a year's wages, that's 200 denarii, to feed 15,000 people. You can hear the frustration in their voices. You can also hear the resignation, how tired they are. Because remember, what brought them to this place in the first place is that they had so little left to give. And that's only emphasized by the next thing that Jesus says, which is, well, how much food do you have? And their response, almost nothing. Five loaves of fish, I'm sorry, five loaves of bread and two salted fish. They probably thought that would be the end of the conversation. And that Jesus would come to his senses and agree, you know, that that really is not enough for 15,000 people. We really should just let all of these people go home. But instead, Jesus says, oh, yeah, that's enough. Five loaves and two fish, that'll work. So he tells the disciples to have the people sit down in the green grass. That's another reference to sheep, by the way. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Have the people sit down in the green grass like sheep and take them the little food that you have, see how far you get, and this is where the miracle happens. Because they take these five loaves of bread and these two fish and they begin to hand them out, and to their surprise, they never reach the bottom of their baskets. Every time they put a hand in, there's a new loaf of bread and a new fish to share. When they get done, not only have they fed 15,000 people, but they have 12 baskets of food left over. Is that a miracle? Absolutely, that's a miracle. And you may be thinking, you know, how is this possible? What molecular change took place to multiply the atoms in the bread and the fish to create new atoms that somehow took the shape of food? That I can't tell you. In fact, if I could tell you how this happened, it would no longer be a miracle. 
This is something that Christian philosophers have always stressed. If miracles were explicable by human reason, then by definition they wouldn't be miracles. Because the essence of a miracle is that God is doing something that can't be done through human reason. Therefore, the fact that we don't understand how miracles work actually has no bearing on whether or not miracles are real. That's something that I'm going to explore in greater depth in other sermons in this series. What I'd like to talk about now is not how this miracle happened, but what it might mean. The situation, again, is that the disciples are utterly exhausted because they're just trying so hard to help everyone. They're exhausting themselves, trying to save all of these people. But at a certain point, they're just done. The needs are just too great for them. The miracle happens, ironically, when they stop trying. And this itself is a powerful lesson, that when you reach the end of your power, that's often the moment that you become receptive to God's power for the first time. Now, to be technical, it's not true that they have nothing. It's just true that they have almost nothing. They do have five loaves of bread and two fish. And so the actual miracle, the actual moment the miracle happens is when they give Jesus the little bit they have. And to their amazement, he tells them, that's enough. You don't think it's enough. You're trying to save the world through your own resources. This is, by the way, why you're burned out. Give me the little that you have, and I'll do the rest. Let me tell you what this looks like in practice. I've had the privilege of working with a lot of uh, addicts during my ministry, and what I've noticed is that the journey of sobriety is closely related to the journey of faith. Many people would actually say it's the same journey, and I wouldn't argue with them. When addicts begin to recover, they're a lot like the disciples in this reading. They are exhausted and burned out because their needs are just so great. They have money problems and relationship problems and work problems and personality problems, and they have very few resources to give to overcome these problems. And just like the disciples, the turning point for addicts is ironically when they quit, when they give up and when they recognize that they actually can't overcome this problem through their own resources. When I'm speaking to an addict early in recovery, they will tell me how little they have. They're in debt, everybody is mad with them, they might have legal problems, they feel like they basically have nothing. The truth, to be technical, is that they just have almost nothing. So I'll say, I know, I know you feel like you have nothing, but can you do one small thing? Could you go to one meeting today? And they'll say, I, I guess I could go to one meeting. Okay. I mean, could you make one phone call today? Could you call one person and tell them about your desire to get sober? I guess I can make one phone call, they'll say. When you wake up in the morning, can you say one prayer? It doesn't have to be a long prayer. Can you get on your knees for just a few minutes and ask God to protect you today? I guess I can do that, they'll say. And what they inevitably discover is that these small efforts are enough because God is doing the heavy lifting. And that's the real miracle of this story. The disciples have very little to give, and yet it's enough because it's not their effort that matters, it's his. 
And I think this is driven home when we look at the connection between this story and Psalm 23, which Heather and Emma uh, Gemma read for us earlier. Because this miracle story was clearly written with Psalm 23 in the background. And we've already noted some of the, the connections. Jesus sees the people and he feels compassion for them, for they are like sheep without a shepherd. He asks the disciples to have them sit down in the green grass, like sheep sit down in grass. Jesus is using this miracle to, sh- to say two things. Number one, people really are like sheep. We are needy, we are helpless, we have very few resources to save ourselves. And number two, he is our shepherd. He feeds us, he protects us, we can trust him with our very lives. Now this is an image that we come across repeatedly in scripture. The most powerful time I think is in John's gospel where Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that means that this is the actual length to which you can trust this shepherd. That this is a savior who does not relate to you as some kind of distant judge whose approval you have to earn, but as a father who sacrifices his own life for you. And so if you want to bring miracles into your own life, the answer this story suggests is to give this shepherd whatever small things you have. And so I would ask you the same question I ask people in recovery. I know you feel like you have nothing to give. I know it feels like you're at the end of your rope, but could you pray? For five minutes a day, Jesus can take that prayer and multiply it. Could you make a phone call? Could you call someone just to cheer them up, to check on them and to tell them that you care about them? Just one phone call a day, you would be shocked with what Jesus can do with that small effort. Of course, it's humbling to admit that We can't make these changes by ourselves, but it's liberating to know that we don't have to. That whatever resources you have are enough to begin a life of faith. All you you know, you say, all I have is two fish and a few loaves of bread. The important question is not how much you have. The important question is, are you willing to give what you have to Jesus? And if you are, then it's enough. Jesus is always talking about how great things start from small things. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, the tiniest seed on earth, but it grows into a tree that is so large it gives shelter to all the birds in the sky. He says the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast. It's a tiny amount, but when you put it into bread, it makes the whole loaf rise and it gives life to all who eat it. This is how it works with your gifts your time, your talents, your treasure, your love, your desire for Jesus, even if it's just the beginning of a desire for him, whatever you have to give, if you give it to him, it's enough for him to start with because he can take those things and in his life, they are multiplied. Let's end in prayer. God, we stand in awe of your mysterious and miraculous power. I pray that you would take the small gifts of our congregation and multiply them so that our lives can witness to your love and that we can be your servants, serving others not with stress, but with joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.